Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, all right, all right. Episode 71 for the love of the game. Let's go. I like the way she do it. 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 I said I like the way she do it. She put it back into it. Then she drop it low to get the dough. I said I like the way she do it. She put it back into it. Let her ass drop like my 64. I said I like the way she do it. She put it back into it. Then she drop it low to get the dough. I said I like the way she do it. She put it back into it. Let her ass drop like my 64. I'm supposed to blow. You supposed to know. Not to go against me or sorry I'm I'm stupid rich. Got retarded money. I'm special. I got special brain. It's easy now. Please believe me now. I just all right, all right, all right. Episode 71 for the love of the game. It's your boy Aaron Tobin Hess back in the studio, back behind the mic. What is happening, everybody? Uh, coming in on a Tuesday night. It's been a little bit since the last recording. Uh, a lot has happened. We had the NHL trade deadline. My Rangers did pretty well. Uh, all things considered, uh, right now they're on an incredible, incredible hot streak, making a push for the playoffs, and are currently up to nothing against the rival Islanders. Let's go Rangers. We had the big fight Saturday night. Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder for the heavyweight belt. I actually, uh, as part of my birthday week, shout out to myself, I, uh, I had a birthday last week. I hosted a couple of crew, hosted some friends for the fight. Great fight. Uh, Tyson Fury, who's a great story, by the way, you know, came back from depression, drug use, uh, alcohol abuse, was over 400 pounds, got himself back into shape. And now after the first uh, fight against Wilder, which ended in a draw, Tyson Fury wins with a uh, seventh round knockout against Deontay Wilder. So he is the heavyweight champion of the world. Shout out to him. Entertaining fight Saturday night. So uh, NBA news. We had the uh, all-star break. Um, We've had a couple of games since the All-Star break. A couple of quick-hitting topics for things that have transpired since the All-Star break. One, Jason Tatum, man. Jason Tatum has blown up. I mean, it was a debate whether he should be on the All-Star team, him versus Jalen Brown for the Celtics, who's going to get that Celt- that second Celtic spot. But, my God, Jason Tatum went has gone berserk lately. I mean, it really started against that game against the Clippers where he hit that that step back three against Paul George dropped him to the floor. Uh, and then against the Lakers Sunday in a game that was extremely exciting, but marred by the referees. I mean, absolutely butchered by the refs. Jason Tatum went absolutely berserk where it looked like he was going to score 60 points in that game. I mean, they were doubling him at the top of the key. They were doubling him close to half court when he caught it in the fourth quarter. Lakers won uh, a quality win. I mean, without Kemba Walker, but I mean, Jason Tatum's blowing up. Uh, two. Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson, man, he continues to absolutely show out. He's only about 12 games into his NBA career, and he's already one of the 20 best players in the league. I mean, he's just like a man amongst boys. And anybody who thought that his athleticism and his strength, well, now he's going against NBA players. Well, I got news for you. He's more athletic, and he's stronger than NBA players. All right, And it shows every single night. Big dudes in the NBA have no idea what to do with him. None. And Zion isn't even in shape yet, and he doesn't even know what he's doing half the time yet. I mean, scary good. Scary, scary good. Quick hitter topic number three. The Houston Rockets. Now, as you know, I've made a brand on shitting on the Houston Rockets. 
well in their small ball lineup. And as I mentioned in uh, episode 70, I liked what they did at the trade deadline. They were going to go all in. I think they used their uh, their capital wisely in terms of uh, allocating salary cap dollars. Well, they're 7-1 in this micro baller. I should say 8-1 uh, after beating the Knicks last night. And Russell Westbrook... For all the detractors who were saying that Russell Westbrook was having a terrible season, and yeah, he wasn't shooting the three well, and he hasn't shot a lot of threes right now, but since January, Russell Westbrook is averaging about 32 to 33 points a game, somewhere around seven rebounds, seven assists. He's shooting 52% from the field, and he's just going nuts. He's going nuts. They try to put big guys on him like he's... It's going to deter him from driving to the rim. I mean, they played against the Utah Jazz a couple of days ago, and Rudy Gobert had absolutely no idea what to do with Russell Westbrook. Westbrook drove all over his ass and finished at the rim. He drove all over Anthony Davis's ass against the Lakers, finished at the rim. Now, I'm still skeptical about how this is going to work in a seven-game series. I still think it's a gimmicky offense, but I, I got to give Houston credit they're going all in on something. They're trying something new. And hey, it's, you know, it's paying dividends right now. So uh, we'll see how it works in the playoffs. But hey, right now it's paying dividends. Four, Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic, uh, Denver center who was an all NBA guy last year, started the season super slow, was out of shape. Well, in the month of February, he's averaging 27 and 12. Uh, and six assists, he's uh, gotten into shape, and he looks like a monster again. Denver is going to be a weird playoff team, potentially. I- I'm not quite sure what to make of them. The X factor is uh, is Michael Porter Jr., but Nikola Jokic, uh, he's, he's rounded himself into form. Five, uh, another team that is going to be a scary playoff team that no one wants to play, the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder, man, that, that team is tough. And Chris Paul is back to being one of the 15 best players in the league again. And I can't believe it because I've been out on Chris Paul for three years now. I've been out. And he has completely sucked me back in and and manifested in that All-Star game. We're going to talk about the All-Star game in a little bit. But Chris Paul was one of the 10 guys out there in the fourth quarter, in that highly intense fourth quarter. And there's a reason for that because... The All-Star game is kind of like a who's who in the league right now. And I know Luka Doncic is coming back from an injury, so he was kind of on a minutes restriction. But don't get it twisted. Chris Paul is back. He statistically is the most clutch player in the fourth quarter in the entire league. And and Chris Paul is driving that OKC team. Shea Gilgis-Alexander looks like he's a star And that Oklahoma City team, man, they just play tough, and I wouldn't want to see them. All right, so as I mentioned before, the All-Star weekend has come and gone. A couple of things on the All-Star game and the All-Star weekend. Firstly, and most, uh, I guess most importantly, the NBA does a better job at their All-Star game, All-Star weekend, than any other sports league in pro sports. They really make it a celebration about the game, about the history of the game, the legends of the game, and and what's going on currently in the game. No other sport constantly has their legends around. I mean, you see guys routinely like Julius Irving, Magic Johnson, Bill Russell, I mean, Scottie Pippen. Uh, We're talking about all-time greats who were heavily shown in All-Star Weekend in Chicago this weekend. And 
it really engenders good feeling for you know the NBA, uh, the fans. They get to reminisce a little bit about guys who they've watched throughout decades of of, of NBA, you know, past. And it's really a great thing that the NBA does. I mean, they uh, they do it better than any other league uh, in terms of. What went down on the court, uh, the skills competition, which is my least favorite competition of the Saturday night, Bam Adebayo takes it down. I always appreciate when the big guys beat the guards in the skills competition. Just goes to show you how skilled these big dudes are now in terms of their handle, passing, and shooting. But yeah, uh, Bam Adebayo takes it down. Skills competition, not my thing. The three-point competition never disappoints, and we had excitement there. Buddy Heald beat Devin Booker at the buzzer in the final round. A really exciting uh, three-point shootout. You had Mountain Dew, who had really good product placement that instituted like a, a really deep ball that was worth three points even more than the money ball. That was a nice little wrinkle. I, I like the classic format. I like the Mountain Dew ball. It really doesn't matter, but the competition itself was great. Uh, Shout-out to Buddy Heald for his at-the-buzzer win. And then there was the dunk contest, which is the crown jewel of NBA Saturday night, even though it's been hit or miss over the years. Well, this year, it was a hit because Derek Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon showed out. I mean, they had a couple of the most impressive dunks that you've ever seen in the dunk contest. Aaron Gordon uh, got robbed by the judges at the end. I mean, he jumped over a 7'6 guy. Come on now. Dwayne Wade, what are you doing putting up a 9? Aaron Gordon had basically a perfect night up until that dunk and got screwed I just feel bad for Aaron Gordon because it's the second time he got screwed. Uh, the first time was against uh, Zach Levine, who also put on a show that night. But yeah, a really impressive dunk contest. And for next year, uh, two my two requests for the dunk contest is, one, have judges who have been in the dunk contest who know just how hard it is to pull this stuff off. And two... Let's get Zion Williamson, John Morant, all the young stars. Let's go. Let's let, let's put some names on there. It's, I'm telling you, young guys, if you're scared about it for doing it for your brand, don't be scared because it's good for your brand. It really is. Zion, John Morant, I expect you guys in the dunk contest next year. Let's get it popping. As for the game itself, Sunday night, I mean, the NBA made a conscious decision. They were going to switch up the format a little bit. They were going to do uh, play, I should say they were going to play each quarter as like an individual game. Team Giannis, Team LeBron, they were going to play for charity. $100,000 uh, goes to the each respective charity for the winner, winning team. And then at the end, they, they were going to add, they were going to add the scores for the thir- first three quarters, add 24 points uh, to honor uh, Kobe Bryant which obviously Kobe's uh, legacy loomed large and his memory loomed large over the entire weekend, which was to be expected and and, and well-deserved. And so, yeah, so they add up the scores, add 24, and they were going to go to a target score. They weren't going to play the fourth quarter with uh, a a game clock. They were going to play to a target score. That score was 157, what we call the Elam ending. And it was a... Great all-star game. An unbelievable all-star game. Now, it started out as a dunk show, not a lot of defense, sloppy, highlights, whatever, like all all all-star games do, but 
Towards the end of that game and in the fourth quarter, those guys busted their ass in that fourth quarter. That fourth quarter was super exciting. Super exciting. I mean, you saw intense defense. I mean, really intense defense. Kyle Lowry, for crying out loud, took two charges. Not one, two charges. Which just gave me so much delight. I mean, guys really caring, busting their ass in that game. He was also called for an illegal pick. I mean, Kyle Lowry, just a legend. An absolute legend. I'm of the opinion that he's going to make the Hall of Fame one day. I mean, he's putting up quite a resume later on in his career. But be that as it may, the All-Star game was awesome. Came down to the wire with Anthony Davis winning it on a late free throw to give Team LeBron the the total of 157. A lot of people didn't like that it ended on a free throw. I personally didn't like that it ended on a free throw. But overall, it was super exciting, super intense, a really good showing for the NBA, and Kawhi Leonard for Team LeBron took home the MVP. So yeah, everybody's buzzing about the All-Star game, how it was, even if that fourth quarter was exceedingly choppy. I mean, it basically devolved into a giant game of one-on-one. The refs swallowed their whistle. I mean, Kemba Walker got basically clotheslined and decapitated by Chris Paul. On uh, on get going for a loose ball, no call. I mean the West, the the refs pretty much swallowed their whistles. Offense was choppy. the The continuity, the the level of uh, I should say the type of the shots that the teams were getting were not very good. But the intensity really made that all kind of secondary. Guys cared, and Team LeBron takes the win. So then. Uh, I go on Twitter talking. Uh, wanted to sort of get the pulse of the NBA fan, what people were saying. Everybody was loving the All Star game, and then the next day or two, uh, I think it was two days later, I listened to an interview with Zach Lowe uh, on his podcast, The Low Post, which I'm a frequent listener to, and he had Nick Elam, the creator of the Elam ending on. Uh, he's a guy who came up with this concept, and while I loved. The Elam ending in the All-Star game. After that interview, I've done a complete 180 on the Elam ending. Because this guy, Nick Elam, I mean, he thinks he's the he's the greatest creation to basketball since the actual basketball. I got news for you, Nick Elam, okay? You know why the game was great? The game was great because the guys cared. Not because of your stupid ending, alright? Not because of your format. Had they played normal rules, like a normal NBA game, and dudes bust their ass, it would have been just as good. So don't tell me that you've basically solved basketball. And yeah, people don't like when it becomes a free throw contest at the end. But guess what? Stopping a clock and fouling guys and hoping for a miss could also be riveting. And it's strategic. And your argument is that the Elam ending... Make sure that guys get the best shots at the basket, the most efficient shots at the basket, the best looks at the basket at the end of the game. I mean, did you see that game? Have you seen a pickup game when it goes to when you're getting close to game point? You're not getting the best shots at the basket because sometimes dudes are fouling you that you don't get a good look. And in that all-star game, LeBron pulled from nearly half court. They were not getting good shots. Kyle Lowry was forced into fall-away turnarounds that he had no business shooting. So don't tell me that this is going to get you the best look at the end of the game. 
And don't get me wrong, I liked it. I really liked it in this All-Star game. But for you to come up here and say that we should change the way basketball is played because it's more exciting this way, I mean, get lost, dude. Get lost. Don't be ridiculous. Basketball has been awesome before you and it'll be awesome after you. So go back to your stupid little desk, tinker a little bit, Enjoy the All-Star game. You got to win in the All-Star game. But to act like you're like the greatest thing since sliced bread when it comes to basketball is completely false. Completely false. And Zach Lowe for pandering to this guy was absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, so that that's the All-Star game. But overall, I absolutely loved the All-Star game. It was fantastic theater. And the NBA is going to keep the format. I think they should. Um, I know I just crapped all over Nick Elam and the Elam ending, but I think for the All-Star game, they should keep it. As is, uh, kudos to the NBA for being willing to try things new. But let's not jump overboard like the NBA has some serious problems here. Uh, last but not least, before we get into tonight's guests, the uh, the Kobe Bryant ceremony was yesterday. Uh, Staples Center held a memorial service on February 24th, 224, uh, to honor Kobe and Gianna. Gianna's number two, Kobe 24. It was very uh, symmetrical. Um, Yeah, it was uh, quite a spectacle. A really, really uh, great tribute, a great ceremony. Three things stood out. One, what else can you say about Vanessa Bryant and her speech and how composed she was? That is superhuman stuff, man. Superhuman stuff to keep her composure the way she did. She's not just eulogizing her husband. She's eulogizing her husband and her 13-year-old daughter. For her to keep her composure like that, I mean, I can't even imagine what I would be like. I would be a mess. I'm not even sure that I'd be able to get up there, let alone speak the way she spoke. Superhuman stuff out of Vanessa. Two, my second big takeaway was Michael Jordan's speech and his presence overall. After all these years, and he hasn't played an NBA game since 2003, Michael Jordan's celebrity and status and place in pop culture and society is he has a bigger aura and a bigger, and his words have more cachet than anybody else going. Anybody else we have in pop culture who's, who's an icon. Michael Jordan's words carry more weight than anybody else's. And he has a natural charisma about him that you can't teach, that nobody else has. And maybe it's because he came along in an era which allowed him to do that, but it lingers to this day. And he spoke from the heart. He fought back tears, not even fought back tears. I mean, tears were streaming down his face. It was unbelievable how much Kobe really made an effort to be like Mike and to pick his brain. And Jordan had the had the joke uh, and the line of the day where he talks about, or he made the joke that he was going to be the crying meme again. We talked about everything. And he was just trying to be a better person. Now he's got me. I'll have to look at another crying meme for the next...
I told my wife I wasn't going to do this because I didn't want to see that for the next three or four years. <laughs> that is what Kobe Bryant does to me. I'm pretty sure Vanessa and his friends all can say the same thing. He knows how to get to you. I just that joke landed so perfectly well, got such a great reaction, and only Jordan can make that joke. He's the only guy who has the ability to make that joke. And it's just unbelievable to see that even after all these years, he's still the guy. He is still the pinnacle of celebrity in sports. And there's no one close. It it was also amazing to see how many people, not just from the NBA community, but the WNBA community, uh, made it out. We had Diana Taurasi speaking, all that kind of stuff. It It was really something else. And uh, the third thing is, and this brings me to my last segment, uh, NBA asshole of the day. And I, I can't believe that I'm going to have to do this. But again, I, I, I've ragged on him a lot in the past. He's won this honor in the past. I haven't ragged on him in a while, but he deserves it now. And that's none other than LeBron James. You saw a lot of guys in the stands yesterday. A lot of current players, whether they were in the Lakers family or not. And LeBron James was nowhere to be found. Not only is LeBron James the face of the Lakers, he's the face of the NBA. And most importantly, he was somebody who said he was Kobe Bryant's good friend, right? When asked about it, LeBron James had this to say why uh, whether or not he was at the uh, at the ceremony yesterday, and here's what he had to say. <laughs> um, how'd you spend uh, yesterday? Um, emotionally, wrecked like everyone else. Another challenging day for all of us. Like you guys, like you've been hearing me talk about the last couple times, you guys are asking about the whole situation. It's been hard to kind of talk about it, trying not to go back. Um, it's just tough. Did, did you attend the ceremony? Um, like I said, man, it was just, um, I respect your question for sure. Very emotional, very emotional day, very tough day. Um, LeBron, uh, did you answer the question? It's a very fair question. It's a yes or no answer. Were you there or were you not there? Now, there are conflicting reports uh, from the LA Times that he was there. Now they're kind of backtracking that he's not there. Well, let me tell you something. Somebody who answers a yes or no question like that by avoiding it means he was not there. And I heard, you know, I saw quotes and and friends of mine were telling me that he was in his own headspace. I'm sorry, dude. That's fucking bogus. That's absolutely bogus. Aside from the fact that, as I mentioned, you're not only the face of the Laker franchise, and this was important to the Lakers, you're the face of the NBA, this was important to the NBA, but you're supposedly this guy's friend. So you're telling me that after the guy passes away, tragically might I add, you post some gushy Instagram comment, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You post some Instagram comment talking about how he was like a brother to you, And at the day of his memorial service, you can't show up because you're in your own headspace? Are you serious, dude? Aside for just being, 
you know, a, a public figure, an important figure in, in the game of basketball as a human being. I mean, think about it this way. And, and everybody and all you LeBron fanboys who, who constantly brush aside his stupidity and his tremendous lack of self-awareness, ask yourself this question. If your friend was in a plane accident, died way too young, and the memorial service was held in your backyard, in your city, in your hometown where you live, wouldn't you make it a point to go, I don't care if you're on your own headspace, dude. You think it was easy for Rob Polinka to be there? You think it was easy for Jerry West to be there? You're in your own headspace. Grow the fuck up, man. Show up. There's sometimes things aren't going to be easy, and you just got to show up. Embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. The lack of self-awareness that this guy has is just unbelievable. And you know what? And it's not even definitive that he, that he didn't show up. But answering the question like that pretty much seals it. But let, oh, let's just assume for a second he did show up. Just say yes. This isn't about you. Why do you have to look like an asshole to the media again? Because this is a common theme. It's a common theme. And even if he didn't uh, intend to make it about himself, he did. Because LeBron James is completely unself-aware when he's in front of a camera and microphones are put in front of his face and he just comes off looking like an asshole yet again. And I don't think he was there. And I think that's so incredibly wrong in my own headspace. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Be a man and show up. Sometimes you have to do things that aren't easy. We all have to do them. It's called life. You're a grown-ass man. You're a father. Be a role model to your kids. You say you're more than an athlete. How about start by being a friend and being a role model? Jerk. What an absolute jerk. For a guy who's never had a major misstep in terms of, and I've said this before and I give him credit, he's been in the spotlight since he's 16 16 years old, even earlier than that, 15. He's been in the spotlight. He's never publicly messed up. He's never, you know, been in serious trouble. And for somebody who's so aware about how he plays basketball and aware of his teammates and giving as a teammate, he's so completely the opposite when talking in front of the media. And it's embarrassing to him that he has no one in his life who basically would go up to him and say, Hey, LeBron, I think it's a good idea that you show up. What a farce. What an absolute farce. More than an athlete. How about being a good friend? Showing up to your friend's memorial service. And to all you LeBron fanboys, I, I, I tell you again, and you're going to say, Aaron, you're just, you're just a hater. No, I'm just a realist. Because to do that to your friend, you wouldn't do it. So you should be holding LeBron James to the same standard. Just, just an unbelievable lack of self-awareness. I, 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 and I'm not even a Laker fan. And it just bothers me as a man. Because I wouldn't do that. And I'm not in the public eye. Alright, with that being said, we're going to bring on my two guests. We've got a packed, packed episode tonight. A lot to discuss. And we're going to bring them on in just a second. Okay, uh, packed 
packed uh, episode tonight. As I mentioned before, I have a, uh, a recurring guest on. Usually we run the triangle offense when it comes to baseball season. We're going to do that again, actually previewing the season. But everything that's gone on with baseball this offseason needed to be discussed kind of in its own podcast. Uh, so it doesn't overshadow the season. So I bring on... Uh, None other than Moshe Cook, big baseball fan, more knowledgeable baseball fan than me. Moshe, what's going on? Uh, not too much. You know, just getting ready for the season. Uh, spring training started, but there's a, there's a lot going on. It's been a busy offseason, probably not in the most positive way. I would say uh, busy and uh, eventful, to say the least. Uh, so let's, let's jump right in, because uh, we've got a lot to discuss. The state of baseball right now. I mean, in your in how much trouble is baseball at the current moment, given everything that's going on? I mean, there's a lot of different things, I guess, to focus on. Like, before the real, you know, the cheating scandal, which we can get into, broke, and they started making all these rule suggestions, you know, free agency seemed to be in a pretty good place. There were a lot of big contracts that went out. You know, there's still guys out there like Yasiel Puig who haven't been signed yet. Um but Rendon and Cole, so unlike last year when like Machado and Harper were waiting and waiting and waiting to get signed, and we saw other players like Grandal and you know Mike Mustakas who had a really good year last year, wait and wait and wait to get a deal. So guys were getting signed. Doesn't mean it's totally fixed, but I think people were a little more excited. Um, I think I feel like things started to derail when we had the cheating scandal, and then the Mookie Betts trade, which was a disaster, uh, and it feels like. Seven teams in the American League are trying to compete, which is, you know, when the Red Sox aren't competing, you know, you have you have some issues. Um, so state of baseball, I mean, they're making still making money hand over fist. But, you know, it seems every week there's a new thing that bubbles up. And just in the last couple of days, I saw something where I think it's Blue Jays fans are no longer going to be able to um, stream their games online because something with the blackout restrictions and it's just. Why is baseball limiting their audience? And I think you had mentioned something in our rundown about, you know, it's old-fashioned. You can't get highlights easily without the MLB app. So why are they making this less accessible? Um, But again, you know, if you're looking at a dollar amount, they're making tons of money. So I think a lot of baseball fans are upset, but, you know, we are still excited for, for the games to get going. It's still – I just find it absolutely crazy because uh, normally, you know, things are like like the saying it's a copycat league, right? Like sports is, yeah. is full of people copying each other. And you would think that baseball would copy the NBA uh, in terms of putting its highlights on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you would think – I mean the NHL has done a better job of that also and, the, and they're growing and Gary Bettman was always seen to be uh, completely inept as a commissioner. I, I just don't get it and it seems to me that baseball has become way more regional of a regional sport than a national sport. I think baseball's always been more of a regional sport. Um, you know, it's never had uh, – Come on. It, it, it's it's considered America's pastime. You can't tell me America's pastime is a regional thing. I think it's shifted. I mean, that's, that's a fair point. It is called – it is America's pastime in the sense that it's, it's been around the longest in terms of tradition. Um, but it's also why you can't compare it to the NBA or – I mean, no, you can't compare anything to the NFL. It's – one, you know, 16 games, every game is basically nationally televised or there gets a huge audience in some region. Um, but baseball, they don't have those, you know, they had to deal with ESPN. They, 
but they don't have huge TV deals on the national level um, really until the playoffs. Basically, they have games of the week, uh, on obviously, on Sundays, um, and Fox's game on Saturday. I, but I would still say it leans regional. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Um, you know, I think the bigger probably could be a regional sport while also understanding that they need to be able to market a guy like Mike Trout, but no one knows who Mike Trout is and no one could identify him out of a lineup. Um, but I'm not sure that like the regional aspect is the real issue. The issue right now is that baseball is alienating its diehard fans. Um, and people are really pissed off. And I think rightfully so, you know, especially in the wake of the cheating scandal, which has been really poorly handled. Um, well, we're going to touch on that last, but I, I okay. did want to, I did want to ask you, um, Two, I guess it's a two, a three-part question. So as you mentioned, so you believe that baseball has an identity problem and that they don't know who their audience is, who their proper audience is, I should say. And lastly, I mean, we'll touch on those two first, but lastly, do you think controversy is good for baseball in a sense because at least now it's getting national recognition even if it's for something negative? Um, you know, there is a saying that any press is good press because it's press. I, I'm not sure that, you know, if there was a scandal and MLB came down hard and people felt that they had reacted in the right way, then maybe you could spin it. But I think you really were just seeing that Rob Manfred seems like a guy who doesn't like baseball. Um, So you have the head of the league is just doesn't seem like he cares about the game or the fans um, or really the players all that much. Uh, So in this instance, I think that this is as bad as an environment or feeling it's been around the league since 94. Like even the PED scandal, like I, I don't remember it being, you know, as negative feeling as it is right now. And I think it's, 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 a, it's a sum of the issues with free agency. It's a sum with the issues in the minor leagues. Uh, it's a sum of MLB addressing other issues, whether it's how they're addressing players who have domestic violence problems. Um, I think this is all just culminating in just what's a very bad time. I think that there are going to be issues when they renegotiate the CBA. Um, so it's it, it feels not great. Not great, Bob. Well, not only are they needing to renegotiate the CBA, but the uh, the TV rights are up as well. And I know that ESPN specifically has really curtailed its its baseball coverage. I mean, they no longer do baseball tonight. I mean, they they'll ba- they'll basically. True. I mean, I don't even watch ESPN. Did they stop doing baseball tonight? Yeah, I mean, they only have a That's show. They crazy. they they'll they'll simulcast. Uh, one show from MLB Network, I think, once a week. But it used to be Baseball Tonight yeah. was nightly. They I don't mean, do I that anymore. Baseball Tonight was it was like appointment viewing for baseball fans, right. uh, especially like in high school growing up. You know, Web Gems and you know the big home run. It, it was a good show, and it's look ESPN. It's a it's a when it's not football season, it's a very much an NBA driven network, and I think that's where they put a lot of. And I get it; that's where they put a lot of their focus in, and. You know, they obviously don't think that baseball has that kind of value and that kind of sucks for baseball. But that and that's a failure of baseball. That's a failure of of the commissioner. It's in it's incompetent leadership. So we were talking about the, you know, the the CBA and the and the TV deals. So one of the potential rule changes um, 
uh, specifically that I wanted us to talk about was the potential playoff format change, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're going to have, there's a one seed, and then basically each, you know, National League and American League can get seven teams. There's a one seed who gets a bye. And then the next, like the two seed will then choose who they want to play from the four, from the five, six, seven, and then on down the line. You'll basically like choose your opponent type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, are you pro or against this? I'm against it. I... One thing I really do like about baseball uh, is that the playoffs do not necessarily, even with the added uh, wild card, which I think has been really fun, um, the, the playoffs don't feel watered down. So you only have 10 teams right now um, make the playoffs. In basketball, half the league makes the playoffs. In football, half the league makes the playoffs. If, what, under this expansion, it'll be just under half the league making the playoffs in baseball. And I don't like this idea of choosing your opponent and the games are played on a, I think I saw, saw that the games would be played on a neutral site, which that, why no, would you? I don't, I, that's not what I heard. I heard that for the first round, the, uh, the team who's picking the opponent, the, uh, the higher seed gets all three home games. Oh, that's what it was. I, so I misread what I, what I'd say. Yeah. So that's what, and that makes a little more sense, but like, why would you take away a playoff game? So you're going to let an extra team make the playoffs, but then you're not going to get the revenue for that fan base and that team to host one game in their stadium. Like I get maybe because of travel restrictions and they want to not make the playoffs run on any longer than they already do. And there were talks of maybe shortening the regular season to make this all happen. Um, But that just screams something with more of like national TV rights than coming, thinking about, you know, the local fans. It doesn't, none of it makes any sense to me. Um, I, you know, if the idea is, you know, maybe more teams will compete. Maybe more teams will, you know, not trade off all of their assets. Maybe more teams will spend money. Uh, I'm not sure that that would lead to the solution because I feel like it's pretty competitive now and teams still, there are a lot of teams that still aren't spending any money. Um, and I think you're just opening it up to having a number of below 500 teams or some really borderline teams making the playoffs. And who really needs to see that? And I'd rather just go right into the division series games um, where teams can just roll out their best pitchers instead of already being a little fatigued from having to play additional series. It just it, There's so many reasons why it doesn't make any sense. To me, it's all about having that extra TV inventory um, to negotiate for the networks because the networks are constantly looking for live content. And even if baseball, the viewership is dipping a little bit, like it's still something, right? It's still substantial. And I think the owners are probably looking at it like even if we lose money on the uh, on the, the at the gate, we're still going to be able to negotiate a higher TV deal, uh, national TV deal, and that will sort of soften the blow. If not, it'll even make us more money. But I'm with you. I, I just I like when guy when people try things or have new ideas because sometimes things get stale. Like for example, I mean, we just saw with the All Star game, and I kind of ranted on this a little bit in the. Um, in the opening, uh, in my monologue about the Elam ending for the All Star Game, playing to a uh, playing to a score as opposed to you know yeah, a, a clock, and it was fun, right? But and I'm all for innovation, but sometimes like y- you just cross a line where it's just too much. Where we have where I, I think traditions and sports are good, and like and this guy Nick Elam, and I, I kind of like crapped all over him uh, about an interview he did with Zach Lowe, like he was talking about like this should be 
You know, the Elam ending should be across the board. Like, no, it shouldn't, dude. I mean, the NBA has been fine for years the way the, the way it is. Uh, I like spicing up the All-Star game, but let's not try and reinvent the wheel here, right? Sometimes you just go a little too far, and I think this playoff format um, for Major League Baseball is just a little too far. It's just a little too far. It seems too gimmicky for me. I agree with you. And just, uh, you know, MLB, they set a record in revenue last year. I think they grossed over $10.5 billion. So the money is there. People are willing to spend it, um, you know, as fans of the game. And just lean into that and promote your players. And, you know, the World Series this past season was excellent. You know, regardless of how we got there with the Astros. Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. It was super fun. You had, you know, the Nationals, and I don't like the Nationals, but they're they're not, you know, they're a fun team to watch. They have some really awesome young players. There are a lot of really great young players in the league right now. Um, take advantage of that. You know, they have a lot of swagger. They're they're just it's it's a it's it's fun. It's a fun time to be in the league. You know, Juan Soto is a superstar, but he's not. You know that. You know, he's just he's he's a great he's great to watch. It's really and that's no really one knows who he is. is. No and, one knows yeah, who no he one, is. No one knows who he is. Um, it's amazing to and me. That's the real problem, right? It's market, amazing. Market mar- right. Juan Soto, market Ronald Acuna, market market Jacob Degrom, market Mike Trout, market Cody so many Bellinger. great players. Yeah, well, you know, the guys on the coast, obviously in the huger in the larger markets, uh, have a little more recognition. But again, nobody could pick Cody Bellinger out of a lineup of twenty other baseball players. Um, and he's just a he's a superstar. Uh, and they just really need to lean into that versus let's add more games. Let's add this. I let's think, make these gimmicks. I think baseball would be shocked at if they just got rid of BAM, the BAM restrictions. That's uh, baseball advanced media. If they just got rid of that and just did what M- the NBA and the NHL and the NFL do and had their highlights on Instagram and Twitter, y- you would see a huge difference. That's just my the personal NFL- opinion. The NFL a couple of years ago had this issue where they weren't letting teams or post highlights on Twitter, um, and they got rid of it, obviously. Uh, but yeah, that, it's as simple as that. Just let let Twitter be full of of home runs and great defensive plays and all the exciting stuff that happens in every single game on every na- single night and nasty pitches. Show uh, well, that's highlights. What, that's what that's what pitching ninjas there for, and yeah, and that's, and one, he's, that's and, the best account. <laughs> and, he, and but he's had issues. He's had yeah, issues he, posting he his has. stuff. It's insane. I want to get to the cheating scandal a little bit because obviously that's the biggest thing hovering over over all this. Because we also have another topic to get to that we're bringing on uh, a third guest, and we're going to run the triangle a little bit. So the cheating scandal, right? Yeah. Now that sort of the dust has settled, what's going on? Um, this really made Rob Manfred look really bad. I mean, so many mm-hmm. people look bad. To me, it's a huge problem, and I'm not saying that the commissioner should always listen to the players, but when your biggest stars, your biggest stars, Trout, Aaron Judge, Cody Bellinger, when they all come out and say that this is bogus – and that these guys, you know, completely, completely cheated. I mean, you you, you got to reinvest, reopen the the case and and relitigate. No. Yeah, I think what had happened was in order for the invest, and I don't, I haven't read enough about it. I kind of got sick of it, but 
I think what happened was in order to get information, they must have given some sort of immunity or something to players just so they would talk. And if they hadn't done that, then everybody would have just, you know, turned a blind eye and not given any information. Um, but it's a, it's a huge problem because the Astros basically didn't apologize. They thought it would go away. It's going to be fascinating to watch what happens in the regular season when these guys start going out there to opposing stadiums and, playing games i i mean on from a personal on the i hope it doesn't i don't want to see beanballs like i you know they cheated and that sucks but you know i don't want anyone to get hurt you know physically injured over right Uh, as as much that it is what's going to happen and we're going to see a lot of that listen i'm Um, I'm sometimes for vigilante justice but again uh throwing a 98 mile per hour fastball at somebody could be like a weapon so i'm not sure that that's necessarily the answer i really think they should vacate the world series they should vacate and, but, the 2017 title. No one wins. Will, nobody wins. No one wins. No one wins. Okay. No one wins. I mean, I don't, I'm not against that. Uh, you know, do you vacate Altuve's MVP award? You know, yes. What What else do you, do you award it to Aaron Judge? Do you award it to? No, you vacate it. You <laughs> vacate it. the vote. You, va- um, you vacate it. That's it. Yeah, it just feels like Manfred just keeps stepping in it. You know, he said the thing about the trophy being just a piece of metal. And like literally, that's what these guys – that's what they play for, you know. That's you watch celebrations, and you know, this, firstly, it's literally called the commissioner's trophy, which is just kind of funny. yeah. I, he's um, he's so incompetent; it's amazing. It really is. I, I can't I can't stress that enough. Uh, but and I, and unfortunately, because there are a lot of young stars in baseball, and you know, baseball's generally it should be in a good place with its personnel. They have likable players too. They have likable young players, and it is really crazy to me that this is what we're you know talking about, and it's going to overshadow the entire season. That's a shame. Um, Um, Yeah, you know the the interesting thing is the Astros are still really good, um, and they're probably still going to be really good this year. Uh, And you know, it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'll be shocked if they don't still win the division. I'll be shocked if they don't still, you know, make a big playoff run. Um, so it's going to be really fascinating, but, you know, not the way you would want it to be. Well, let me tell you this. I hope that Jose Altuve starts out the year in 0 for 15 slump. Yeah, that would be pretty funny. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I I don't even know how how much the sign stealing – has there been a real statistical analysis of how much it actually helped? Um, it's obviously still really bad, but you know, we're going to, these guys are still going to, you know, play Alex Bregman is still going to, you know, have a phenomenal year cause he's a phenomenal player. Uh, but it's just going to, it's not even like steroids, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be still just be looked through with these tinted glasses and it's, it's, it sucks. It's really crappy way to go into what should be an exciting season. It really, really stinks. But as a Yankees fan, I'm excited for the Yankees. And again, we're going to get into like a, a, a preview of the play on the field in just a second. But we have some other business to take care of. And I'm about to patch in our, our third guest. We're going to run uh, the triangle offense in just a second. So technical difficulties have, have been ironed out. There, we're getting close to the end, guys, uh, with The Bachelor. Uh, so for again... For those who don't know, uh, right now I have my uh, my bachelor expert uh, recurring guest, Elisa Verstendig. Moshe Cook's still on the line. Three of us are avid bachelor watchers. Uh, we have a lot, 
a lot to discuss about The Bachelor. We just had fantasy suites. We're getting close to the end. So I'm going to start us off with this, everybody. We're going to take it back two weeks to pre-hometowns, right? We're going to walk it back a little bit. So Peter sends Kelly home. And for those of you who don't remember, Kelly was a fan favorite. She had met Peter in a hotel lobby in Chicago. He sends her home in favor of Victoria, and people were mad. Did each of you hate the decision in real time? And secondary question, did you did either of you actually think that Kelly was really interested and actually liked Peter after all this? Melissa, do you want to go first? No, take it, take it, take it away. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I think it was the wrong decision. However, we've seen this whole season that he continuously makes the wrong decision, so I'm not surprised by it. Um, I think there was something there, but I think she's way too normal and way too good for him. So in the end of the day, she wasn't going to win. So I don't think it was, a, you know, made much of a difference whether he sent her home then or at hometown. And I think we all know the reason he kept Victoria around. So Well, we're going to get to that yeah. in a second. Moshe, what say you? <laughs> so it all depends on the lens of how you look at it. Like to us, it was a bad decision. But for Peter's ultimate ends, you know, it's a good decision for him. Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, I think that both Kelly and Kelsey were just too mature and kind of with it for him, which, you know, if you look at the women that have made it to the end, they're significantly younger. Um, but you know, Victoria is not ones, that much younger. Victoria, Victoria is the outlier, but Madison and Hannah Ann are both, what, 23 years old? Something like um, that, yeah. But he's only 27. The, He's only 27, but, you know, 27, 23, especially in terms of, like, life experience is a pretty big difference. Like, they both just graduated college, like, fairly recently. Yeah. Um, and Peter's he's got a job. He's flying around. He's doing his thing. Um, I think, ultimately, we kind of all know what he wants. And, and I just wasn't surprised because I feel like I figured out what he his end game was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so everything's just kind of playing out as I would fully expect. It and to. we're going to get to, we're going to get into a little bit on, on Peter in a second, but I mean, we, we kind of saw hints at this when, uh, during his time on Hannah Brown season and, and when she came back in the first two episodes where it talks about, uh, the windmill. Uh, so we really know what he was up to. So now let's, let's jump to hometowns before we delve into Peter and, and Victoria, because it, it all kind of like smushes together. So hometowns, right? So now we've got uh, the three contestants who are left. Uh, Victoria, Hannah Ann, Madison, and Kelsey. So my first question is, is ABC not using the actual houses of the people? Like, what is that about? So, I mean, it's not always the case but apparently whether the family doesn't want them to use the house or abc doesn't deem that the house is nice enough there are times where they will use other people's houses which makes sense because how does it how could you really believe that every single season every person that goes to hometown has a gorgeous house I also, like, I don't have a problem with it. It's reality TV. Like, there are some things that we just need to either suspend disbelief or understand that what's being done is made for the best possible viewing experience. Um, so as long as, like, they're meeting the families, like, how or where they meet the families is not really that important to me. I'm okay with it. I know, but a little authenticity. You know, ABC is is straying so far away from authenticity that, like, 
there are certain places where you can just keep the authenticity as much as possible. I feel like hometowns in the people's homes should be that place. I mean, look, I, I'm just going to respectfully agree to disagree. I'm not sure that authenticity is what I'm really looking for. Fair, fine. Most aspects when I'm watching The Bachelor. That, that's also, fair. I don't think most people are even really paying attention, honestly, to what that house looks yeah. like. That's also a very good point. Those are those are very fair points. Okay, so like who, it, so who won the hometown week? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Before I, before no, I was I saying, if, that. if it hadn't come up, I don't even remember how it came up. But if no one ever mentioned it, you would never have thought again about it. So that's true. So who who do you think? And we'll start with you, Aliza. Who do you think won hometown week? So okay, I have multiple answers. I think for Peter, I think Hannah Ann won hometown week. Um, I think. Kelsey really won it, but obviously he was so he was so already out of the game with her. Like you could tell the way that he acted towards the other girls, how he said he was falling in love with them and speaking to their families, and he just wasn't giving that to Kelsey. So I think she had the most normal family who actually seemed to kind of I don't want to say believe in the process, but we're just saying, you know, if Kelsey's happy, we're happy and we trust her. So I think she had the best hometown from an outsider's perspective. But I think for Peter, Hannah Ann's was the best because they were just all really like, I mean, obviously minus her dad, but he was just being her dad. She's 23 years old and lives in their house. It makes sense that he would be protective of her. But you don't say. Felt like, yeah, they just felt like they were all like clones of Hannah Ann. So I think that worked for him. Mosh, who do you think won hometown week, according to you? Would it be a huge you know, scandal to say Victoria after everything she did and she still got a rose. Like, that's pretty crazy. I mean, you're, um, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, she stayed you know, around. Uh, you know, I still, I, I think Hannah Ann, Hannah Ann and Maddie, you know, they're both in terms of home, you know, just looking from a hometown perspective. Um, I think they both dates are really good. I think Maddie's is really cool. They got to go to Auburn. They had the thing with Charles Barkley. Um, but both, well, both dads didn't give the blessing this time, right? If I yeah, but he didn't. People didn't ask any of them for their blessing, technically. Well, I guess because they didn't, they wouldn't even let it get there. Um, good, good. The dads shouldn't <laughs> give the blessing. The guy's a noob. <laughs> well, I will say though, Victoria, there's something that they need to explain her family. Because I get we didn't get to talk to them, but she does not look like she's related to them. Ooh. Well, one of them is her – it's a stepdad situation or something, right? I Well, I don't know. Not one person in that room looked like they were related to her, and I felt like okay. we needed an explanation. Not, <laughs> not even her sisters. And and even with all the blonde hair going on, on it was just weird. For me, the winner and, – and again, I, I speak of this – and I, Mosh, I respect your opinion on the Victoria F because I think we're all in agreement that she sucks and we're going to get to her soon. But, like, I, I respect your opinion that she won because she's still around. But to me, and, and I'm biased, it was Madison. Why? Because she's just wonderful and she showed <laughs> off She showed off wicked handle, a jump shot, Charles Barkley. I mean, Peter didn't know who Charles Barkley is. I God, he's the worst. He's just so bad. Yeah, I mean, Aaron, she w- looked amazing, and I think oh. she's very talented. But I don't want to burst her bubble. You know, she didn't go to Auburn. 
It doesn't she matter. Her dad's the coach, assistant coach at Auburn. I think she might have. She definitely played high school ball. I don't. She know was a really good high school ball. player, but I don't know yeah. if she played high school. I did try to do some research. I couldn't find any uh, any high school uh, any college stats. Um, she's also like she was so much better than Peter. Oh my god, he, <laughs> he didn't know how. Horrendous. He's so uncoordinated on the basketball court. I, I have no respect for the guy. I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, her eyes are beautiful. As uh, as Ron Burgundy <laughs> says, she's got beautiful eyes and her hair smells like cinnamon. Uh, I mean, that's just Madison, but whatever. Okay, so Victoria, before we move on to why Peter is the worst, and we're going to analyze Peter in a bit. So Victoria stays on even after all her drama. He doesn't even meet her family. She stays on instead of Kelsey. I guess, I mean, we all know why he picked Victoria, right? Because she's probably a dragon in the sack, and he was like, I need to sample this, and he assumed that he was. she's a better lay than Kelsey. I mean, are we all in agreement on this? Yeah, I think... Yes, and I think it all plays into – can we talk about, like, Endgame or are we just going to talk about Victoria now? Well, like, we're going to talk is... about Peter and his Endgame and, and his whole persona now. But I, but this, you know, is part of it. And I guess – I mean, only think, the only thing I think about Victoria besides the obvious is he does seem to really enjoy, for some bizarre reason, like they say, the crazy and the drama – and up until that point, Madison wasn't giving it to him and Hannah Ann wasn't giving it to him. And honestly, with Kelsey, it was in the past already. So I think he is drawn to that. So I also think that's part of why he kept her along. I think Kelsey did a major 180, though. And and Lizzie, we spoke about this before, but she really did a major 180. Almost, you know, she actually, I think, came off super well. Because I actually think she, out, out of all of them, she kind of liked him almost the most. For sure. But I think that will end up being her downfall is that she became so normal and there was no drama that he was uninterested. And it's not like, and it's not like that she's not attractive because she's attractive. I, I just don't get it. Okay. So let's talk about Peter now, right? Moshe, we're going to start with you because I've spoken to Lizzie twice on, on this topic already. Okay. Um, your thoughts on Peter, your analysis of him. And your he's critiques. So, he's so boring. Like, just, he doesn't do anything interesting. He's obscenely bad at this game. Um, I don't know what it is. I think maybe he's been hung up on Hannah Brown from the very beginning. And by the time they started filming. Oh, I was, like I like where your head's going on that one because my head is <laughs> going there too. I mean, the chemistry between the two of them when she showed up at the mansion and when then she showed up again at the date, like – there's, I know that there are, uh, I, I, if they didn't uh, kiss when they were at their faces like a centimeter apart and they just didn't show it on TV, like would that really surprise you? Um, so I think that that has been an issue. And I think just he has this whatever emotional need for the women to always tell him like why they like him and that they want him. And like Hannah Ann played this perfectly with that little letter that she wrote. Um, was it uh, the week before hometowns or was it the week of hometowns? Like, this is the reason why I'm falling in love with you. Um, and he just ate that up, and that was just an A plus move by Hannah Ann. Um, I don't know. I just I don't understand why he is so so bad at this. It does. I. It's it's pretty mind boggling. Like he, it, I didn't think it could get more boring than Colton. 
Uh, oh, he's right worse. There. He's worse. I'll tell you why in a second. Lizzie, what do you have to say about that, about what Moshe just said? So, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I feel badly for him because I think he's probably a really nice, good guy. And I think he really wanted this to work. I just think, unfortunately, he wasn't really cut out for it. And the problem is, is the girls were picking up on all of his, like, not to say idiosyncrasies, but like it was so obvious how stupidity how they, they were picking up no, on his stupidity. Like, right, you give him words of affirmation, you tell him how much you like him, and you start crying, and you get a rose, and you notice it because even the girls that didn't do that start to do it towards the end, and it's like instantaneous that he's then into it. Like when he told Hannah Ann when he was leaving her, when she said she she loves him, he's like, "Say it again." Like, come oh. on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> But then, you know, and Victoria kept doing this thing where she would like pretend that she couldn't say how she was feeling, and he ate it up. Like he just wanting more of it, and it just, I, it's so. I know both of look for our boy Pete. I know both. I know both of you follow me on Instagram, and I had a little moment last night. I was trying to save a lot of my thoughts for tonight, Um, but there was a clip last night where he was on the one-on-one with Victoria, and she's talking about. They're having a conversation, which is is so incredibly disjointed and awful to listen to. I mean, just just horrendous. And then she says, "What can I give to you? What can I what can I uh, improve on?" Right? And he says, "Quote: You don't have to improve Nothing. on anything." So you're telling me after the last two weeks of the bullshit that she put you through that she has nothing to improve on? Nothing. <laughs> The the only defense I could potentially give him is that obviously we're only seeing bits and pieces of all of their interactions. My my hope is that he's watching it back right now and feeling like an idiot. How can you not? I think the women. I think the women tell all is going to be so interesting because I think they're going to hammer him. Right, but I mean, Victoria. Oh, actually, I don't know if Victoria will be there. I don't think she, I don't think she'll be there. My old, before or yeah. after I forget. It's next week, right? Yeah, but dates too. I think one the episode is Monday night and the tell all is Tuesday or vice versa. Interesting. I think they're gonna ha- they're gonna absolutely crush him. My big thing on Peter is you know, and my my mom said this to me, which is it's really <laughs> funny. She says, you know, he seems like a nice guy, but just confused. And my whole thing is like. If you and I've said this throughout the entire show, if you say that you're super serious about this and finding a wife and this is what you want and you're taking this super seriously, right? You can't go around dropping the the L bomb, the love you phrase to everybody, right? There used to be a rule where you couldn't the lead couldn't say it back. Right, but then Ben Higgins broke the rule because he told. Jojo and Lauren that he loved them and after that but that was two people Peter has told this to like four or five people already he doesn't tell them he loves them he says he's falling in love with them which actually means nothing to me the whole thing is just garbage and it's just garbage because it's just two faced And 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 I get it you know sometimes you get wrapped up in this and and emotions run high and 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 Believe me, you know, I, I've been in situations where emotions get the best of you, but you can't tell people over and over again that you're falling in love with them. And he told people that he was falling in love with them and then sent them home like two minutes later. 
But I actually think that it's genuine. I don't think he's saying it for the sake of saying it. I think right now, like when he says, I'm in love with three girls, I actually think he is. And I actually think that he doesn't know at that moment who he's choosing. Oh, so I, I don't agree with that either. I think he know, he's known who he was going to choose since week two. Really? I very much disagree. And Interesting. We have this. Now, I think he's backtracking to save whatever relationship he's in. Interesting. We have dissension. I love this. Okay. (laughs) I love this. We have dissension. This is beautiful. This is why you run the three-man weave. Wonderful. Oh, this is fantastic. The other thing is he has no charisma and the scar on his head that he bumped his head and and cut his head open and got stitches. What a loser. Ugh, I just I just hate everything about him. He was in Costa Rica and he had bad plastic surgery. Ugh, he's just he's just such a noob. And the worst part about it was he was likable on Hannah Brown's season. I actually think Hannah Brown should have picked him, as we've said, because there's chemistry there. But, well, but was he I, was was he likable on Hannah Brown's season, or was he just a good match with Hannah? Because but I that makes like him likable in that match. moment. But that makes him likable yeah, in that think, moment. But I think that's the problem is that everyone saw that chemistry and knows that Hannah should have picked him, and she made the wrong choice, and therefore we're on the Peter bandwagon. But I think the problem is, is that he doesn't actually know what he wants. I think in a moment he wanted Hannah, but then once that was done, I don't think he really knows what he wants. And I think that's kind of where all of his issues lie this season. So let me ask you this. If you're genuine about finding a wife, right? You don't go on The Bachelor. <laughs> no, but, but we'll, 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 we'll leave that out of it because, because it's for our entertainment. And you know what? Sometimes love – comes in weird places, right? When you least expect it. Sure. But if you have these girls who you have feelings for, right? At a certain point, because you have good relationships, wouldn't you send the crazy one home because you have other good relationships? Like, what do you need that for? Well, unless, unless Moshe's right and he knew who he was picking at the end, so why not? keep someone on that he knew he wasn't going to choose versus leading someone on that maybe there was a little bit more potential. I I just, it's to me, it just comes off as super not genuine because like if you, if you want to say that you're, you know, you're serious about it, then you send away the drama and you block all that out and you keep the people who are drama free, who aren't giving you such a headache. it doesn't work that way because you're making a season of TV. So you have, if, if I believe strongly that any lead within, it's a very short process. Like we have to remember it's not, it's how many, it's like what a couple weeks, this whole entire like six thing. Weeks yeah, it's like six not weeks. even two months. So these decisions are happening super quickly. And I think every lead basically knows basic, you know, you know, you have that first cocktail party at the mansion that we've seen the first episode. And then there's, you know, group date and a couple of, like he, you know, he picks the, girls or men if it's the bachelorette who made the strongest impression on and i think that they within like the first week or two they know who they want in the end game but then the producers and the bachelor producers are second to none when it comes to crafting tv yes i uh, that's why you that's where you need the drama um you know the girls there were girls this season like the champagne thing like michaela and Con- like tammy they knew that they weren't going to make it to the end, but you can get a story out of it. And they caught a a nice amount of TV time and a nice amount of TV content out of that. So that's just, you know, that's just how how, how the mechanics work. 
Right. Well, that's true in the beginning, but not at this point. I listened to many of Bachelor podcasts of people yeah. who were on the show, and they say, yes, in the beginning, like, you know X amount of, like, you know there's five people that are potential, so you don't care whoever the producers tell you to keep after that. You don't really care. But they they all claim that when it gets to this point and you're in top four, top three, it is 100% the choice of the lead. Oh, for sure. Um I, just, I don't even know how we ended up. What was the original? How did we get okay, that? Why, why is he keeping the dramatic girl around? Yeah. Why is he keeping the dramatic girl around? Oh, no. So if we're talking specifically about Victoria. Yeah. Yeah, so, obviously. Yeah, I think he, he does have a connection with Victoria. Like, they do seem to whatever. Uh, so I get it. I still don't think that he – look, my opinion is he has always wanted Madison like, from the very beginning. Uh, well, we're gonna jump in. We gotta jump into Madison in a second. But I pose this does, question. I pose this that question. Doesn't before, mean that right. he is not like interested and wants to see where Victoria goes. But then at a certain point, it's like I can get to the fantasy suite with Victoria. So why not? Yeah, <laughs> like, and she and she probably has skills that are second to none, or at least he thinks. But my question is: before we go to Madison, um, and obviously I, I've I've professed my love for Madison a couple of times now, um, Victoria. Would you say that actually, after all this, that she's the best match for him? As nuts as she is. Do they deserve each other? I don't think so, because I actually don't think she's, I mean, from the things I've heard, that she's such a great person. And I think he's a good person, and he just made poor decisions. Mosh, what say you? I don't think they're, like, they deserve each other. Um, I don't really think that I, I think who was um i always get confused in kelly and kelsey which was the lawyer was that kelly, kelly. that was kelly yeah. yeah she was probably just from like a mature like adult who had like the right head on her shoulders i think that would have been like a really good match for him um he obviously saw otherwise uh so well, no, he wanted like to go he, to pound town with victoria yeah i just you know he for whatever reason I don't, but I don't, I don't think it means that like Victoria is the one that he should ultimately be with. What I think is Victoria. The bigger question with Victoria is has she played her way into or out of you know paradise? three seasons of Paradise? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think she might have shot herself in the foot with her whole like White Lives Matter situation. I don't know if yeah. the Bachelor wants to be associated with that. I, I'll tell you what. True. All and things even aside, in the home oh, stuff too. Yeah, yeah, not great. Oh, I don't think the home wrecker stuff would would take her off of paradise because she's like a five tool player for paradise. She's perfect. She checks all the boxes. <laughs> all right, so we got to move on to Madison because we're running a little long here. Um, a lot to unpack here. Uh, obviously, the big news is that she's saving herself for marriage. Um, and she ba- she kind of gives Peter the ultimatum. Without really saying it, the first thing I want to ask you guys was the first four minutes of this week's episode was that brutal conversation where Madison basically says she's a virgin and that he gives Peter the ultimatum but doesn't really say anything. Lizzie, on a scale of one to ten, how contrived was that conversation by ABC and how cringy was that conversation on a scale of one to ten? So I don't think the right word is cringy. And listen, I get where she's coming from, but she was, I think she was hoping and assuming that if she kind of talked around the issue that he would get what she was saying, which he obviously didn't. 
And she was trying to say it without having to come outright and be explicit about it. And I think she thought that he understood that, which he did it. Now, a follow up question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, and I think in, in that respect, that was not right on her part. Okay, so a follow-up question was, did you think that Peter didn't understand it or that he just neglected it? He did not understand it because I think if she would have said to him on the hometown date, let me tell you about my faith, et cetera, et cetera. Also, I'm like, you know, I'm saving myself for marriage and, you know, it would make me uncomfortable with X, Y, and Z defense. I think he would have taken it much differently than her just saying, Listen, it's going to make me upset if you if you sleep with other girls because in that respect he's probably just like, well, that's the show and it's fancy suites and that's what happened. So right. I think if she would have been more explicit, I think he'd be much more inclined to maybe not do it. Either. So you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not sure I'm there because it's the whole genuine thing with me. I understand what you're saying. I'm not sure I'm there. Um, Mosh, let me ask you this. Does Madison have a leg to stand on here, knowing what we know about The Bachelor? So I'm going to – this is where the – you know, it's, Aaron, we discussed this part. Yes. Um, I have not watched – I watched the conversation or what I could find of it on YouTube. Uh, my wife is out of town, so – and I uh, – you know, the rules of marriage are one cannot watch the, an episode of The Bachelor without the other. It's a fair rule. I, it saves marriages. It, indeed it does. So I did not see the entire episode, um, so I can't speak to the entire conversation. So my question for you guys is, like, she – the whole thing about Peter is that he slept with Hannah Brown four times in, in the one night. So, like, did, right. did she not know about – like, how was so, that? Yeah, so I – that's a good point, and I think my first reaction when I initially heard about this whole scenario was that, like, how – why would she go on knowing Peter's the bachelor? He is the most sexualized bachelor we've had. However, like she should have signed maybe, up for Colton season. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, maybe you'll agree with me after you watch it, but I think after watching their actual conversation on their fancy suite date, first of all, she was very eloquent and very articulate. I was very impressed. By far think, the most well spoken of the three. Oh, for sure. But I think that she really made such valid points. And again, nothing to do with virginity. Putting it aside, let's say it wasn't about her saying she was saving herself for marriage. I think she was just saying, like, you listen, we've never been there. But I could imagine, even if you go on the show, not for the quote-unquote right reasons, if you're getting to the top three, I have to imagine you have some sort of feelings. And it really probably is real for them in the moment. And if she really thinks, you know, she thinks he's her boyfriend, just like they each do. So, yes, she knows it's a show and he's going to use other people. But I think her thought is, like, for example, with Nick Vile on his season, he says that he only slept with Vanessa in the fantasy suites because Lies. he knew he was going to. No, it's true. They all they they've all the girls have said that that's true because he knew it was going to be her in the end. And he knew that something she would not get over. And why would he do that? So I think all Maddie was really saying she wasn't saying she she even said, like, I don't care about your past. I'm not telling you to do something. This is my choice for myself. But I think she's saying, like, if if you really want to be with me and you're saying it's going to be us at the end, then I just don't understand why or how you could sleep with two other women. I think that's, that's a fair reading of it. That's that's painting Nick Vial, somebody who we've vilified uh, for a while. I think Nick Vial has done – I like Nick now. I was not a Nick fan when he was the Bachelor, and I think you personally don't like him because he didn't pick Christina. 
Um, <laughs> I actually I think, think that's, something, Nick that, is, that's I, something that you need to work out with your <laughs> with yourself. Well, no, Christina's uh, been supplanted by Madison because Madison's got a jump shot. <laughs> um, so we can I, make know, I think super that's a babies fair reading together. Um, if she don't, um, if she'd only respond to my DMs. So I think, yeah, I, I get, but at the same time, like I don't think it's fair necessarily of her to like make that. Like she know at the end you do you know what you're getting into you know what happens like by the end with these things. Yeah, but I don't think she wasn't giving him an ultimatum, and she said it very clearly. She said, "I'm explaining to you what the standards that I keep for myself, and I told you what would be important to me." And pretty much kind of like you're choosing to sleep with these other girls over our relationship, which I don't think is the craziest thing. Like if you took it into real life, that's a very normal thing to say to someone. And I guess right. this isn't the case, yeah. but, she, but she also <laughs> said she was like, so yeah, so it's really hard for me to wrap my head around getting engaged to you in six days when six days ago you slept with another woman. Right. So I was actually of the opinion going into this conversation that I kind of didn't think Madison had necessarily the biggest like to stand on. And I thought Hannah Ann actually, when you sifted through all the awkwardness, um, the uh, conversation between the women who weren't on their one-on-one dates in the hotel suite, Hannah Ann actually laid it out pretty well. But having said that, Lizzie, the news that uh, Nick Vial only slept with uh, Vanessa because he knew that she was the one, that has swayed me. So now I'm completely on Team Madison on this. Now, Lizzie, this question's for you before we move to predictions because we've got to wrap up. Do you think, and Mo, sorry about this, but do you think when she walked away at the end that she walked away for good? No. Not away, at right? that point. I think she will walk away, but I don't think it's going to be them. All right. Well, so with that being said, because we got to wrap up, the studio is uh, giving me the signal. Lizzie, we'll start with you. Moshe, we'll go with you then. So predictions for the end of the season. Lizzie, who do you think quote unquote wins and what do you think happens? So I don't know. I, I know that we initially had a bet and I said that I thought Madison was going to win. And I still, part of me still does believe that. But there is something to be said about the fact that they're making it seem so obvious that it's her that makes me think maybe it's not her and maybe it's Hannah Ann. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really – I could see it going both ways. Although if it were Hannah Ann, I'd feel terrible for her because it's so obvious that he loved Madison, but I don't know. Mosh, what say you? All right. Here's, this has been my working theory for a long time, and part of it I could be fooled by some of these commercials that they've done, like some of the ads. I think it's always been Madison. I think from the second that he brought her on that date to his parents, I think he knew that she was likely going to be the one that he was going to choose, and they're just ramping up the drama right now by having her walk away. I think that moment that they keep showing um, in the – like coming up this on the most dramatic season yet uh, of her – when Chris – comes to tell Peter something. I think that's Chris telling, either saying that Madison is back or something like that. Um, and then that scene where they show Peter's mom saying, bring her back, bring her back. It can only be Madison because Madison is the only one that met his parents. So Yeah, but you don't know that they're, they could be talking about, you know, the general bring her home. Like he could be saying, I really love this girl. What do I do? And they say, bring her home. Uh, but it, it comes off as someone who left. Like, 
you let this person go away. Now you have to go get her back for us. Um, so I think that he ends up with Madison. I don't think that they are engaged because I think, yeah, I don't think the season ends with an engagement. I think that they end up together um, and they're figuring it out. They're working out this whole, like, does Peter meet Madison's values? You know, what she's looking for in her bill boyfriend, fiance, husband. Um, so that is my prediction. It's, I, I still think it's going to be Madison. Interesting. Okay, so here's my workshopping theory. I think Hannah Ann wins at the end. Wins being in uh, in quotation marks because I don't think anybody's a real winner here. Um, my big thing is I think Hannah Brown sneaks back in. No way. No after, way. We're so over it. I got it. And uh, my next door neighbor, my buddy Brandon, uh, I'm going to give him a shout out here. Uh, I didn't think this was possible, but this whole season has been so incredibly weird, and Peter sucks so bad. Um, I think that Madis- uh, that Hannah Ann wins, and Peter somehow ends up with Hannah Brown. That's my that's my throwing, you know, throwing there's a, it out. There's there. a bigger there's a bigger chance of Hannah Ann being the Bachelorette again than coming back. Exactly. Being with Peter. If Hannah Brown is a Bachelorette again, I'm not going to be happy. Can't. Ugh, gross. All right, guys. This was a lot of fun. This was awesome, but we got to wrap up here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you guys again. And we're going to have, well, obviously, you know, be speaking about this for the next three weeks. This was awesome. Thank you guys again. Can't, can't thank you guys enough. Have a good one. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. uh, Thanks again to my recurring guests. An awesome episode. Just an action-packed episode. Moshe Cook, Aliza Verstendig, a little baseball talk, a little bachelor talk, the killer bees. Uh, That's episode 71 for the love of the game. Take us out. She do whatever I say, and I ain't got to make it rain money. Go get it, and she get up with it. Told Shawty don't do it, but she already did it. I'm all on the back when she move like that. You can find me wherever she at. Like, yeah. Then she drop it low, then kiss the door Satellite, you wish you could, she put it back into it Let her ass drop, like my 64 Satellite, you wish you could, she put it back into it Then she drop it low, then kiss the door Satellite, you wish you could, she put it back into it Let her ass drop, like my 64 Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.